So today's reading is going to be from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I just encourage you to turn with us there. Uh, again, it's Matthew 5, 17 through 20. And if you are able, uh, once you get there, will you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Welcome again to Providence. Excited to have you here. Um, as she was saying, we have been in a sermon series uh, going over the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. Uh, and... Um, Oh, if you don't know me, by the way, my name is Eric Ripley. Sorry, I always forget to put that in the, the notes. I serve on support staff here and excited to get up here every once in a while and preach the word. So, um, But yeah, we've been in a series, uh, and we've been um, basically what we've covered so far, and kind of give you the outline of the Sermon on the Mount, is first we talked about who we are. So we got this kingdom theme, right? Jesus is our king, and he is giving us this discourse in Matthew 5 through 7 about uh, the kingdom, right? Like, who is in the kingdom? Who is the king of the kingdom? What does it look like to be a part of the kingdom, etc.? And so, so far we've covered uh, who we are in the kingdom. And so we've been talking about how we covered the Beatitudes as not just like to-dos that we should do, but characteristics of who we are in Christ, right? So characteristics of the people of the kingdom. We are children of God first and foremost, right? We are, are loved by God, and therefore we exude these things. And then last week, Corey began to discuss uh, not only who we are as part of the kingdom, but what our purpose is in the kingdom, and that is to uh, not only just to be a child of God, but to sp- display that in such a way that it displays the glory of God to the ends of the earth, right? Talk about being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And so we have the uh, who we are, the purpose Uh, that we are called to, and now for pretty much the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to talk about uh, what does it look like, what do we do in the kingdom, and so um, our topic is going to be that, what do we do in the kingdom, what are the characteristics of the people in the kingdom, and specifically this morning, we're going to be talking about the overall topic of righteousness, of righteousness as Christians, and so I'm excited to get into that. Um, There's before we pray and read the text, there's two things I want to mention. I feel like in the, the road to pursuing righteousness, which means uh, we say as Christians that we want to uh, be like Christ, right? I'm going to move this because it's distracting me, sorry. Not that I'm looking over there the whole time, but um, we say that we want to be like Christ. We want within ourselves more and more we are, hunger, we are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, and we want to be like Christ. We want to be examples of Christ. Christian literally means like little Christ. And so we, we want to be like him. We desire that. Not that we want to be God because he is God, but we, we long to be less and less sinful. The sin that we've been saved from, we don't want to exude those characteristics, but we want to exude, we want to display, embody the very nature of Jesus Christ himself. Amen. 
And so in that path, in that pursuit, as a Christian, for righteousness, to be like Christ, there is usually two ditches on each side of the road that we fall into. And the one, and these are pretty obvious, but one is, is self-righteous earning. Right? We mention this a lot because it's not the gospel. The gospel is not that if I do good things just well enough or just in comparison enough to other people that God will love me, God will accept me, God will let me into the kingdom. Uh, and so one ditch is that we, we try to earn our, our, our favor with God. And we may even know, okay, that's silly. We obviously can't earn favor with God, right? All are sinful, all are dead in sin. But we try that. You know, it's one of the ruts we get into when we're not genuinely pursuing righteousness in Christ. We say, how can I gain my own righteousness? Um, and we do that by earning. And, and the other ditch is going to be uh, maybe like a half-hearted carelessness in the way we approach righteousness, right? And so we, we understand the gospel, that we've been saved, that we don't have to earn favor. And so instead of a, a godly pursuit of righteousness, we say it doesn't really matter, right? Like, God loves me anyways. I can mess up. It's cool. Um, it's going to be fine. I don't really have to concern myself with those things because Jesus has already dealt with that. Uh, so I don't have to worry about it. I think both of those, uh, if we're not careful, are dangerous, right? It's dangerous. And we're going to see uh, in this text, it's Jesus this morning does not hold any blows back. He is very intense in this text. Also very gracious, right? It's a clear picture of the gospel in our text today. But he also does not uh, baby us, if you will, if I could say that. He doesn't hold back blows. He's serious about righteousness and the pursuit of righteousness and being like Christ and embodying the characteristics of the kingdom by the grace of God. And so um, Jesus is going to give us a better alternative to pursuing righteousness in him this morning. That's what I want to look at. So uh, if you would join me, I just want to pray. Just ask God for his power through his word this morning. So you can bow your heads with me. God, we love you. And we thank you that we do not have to earn favor with you. That we, not only can we not, but we don't have to earn your love. We don't have to earn um, anything, but it's all by grace. God, there's no merit, there's no good deed, there's no awesome heroic effort in our lives that would cause us to be loved by you, but by your grace, you love us anyways. God, we are the worst of the worst. We are rebels against our king. We are disobedient, yet you love us. And God, not only do you love us, but you empower us by the power of your Holy Spirit to live in a way that honors you, that reflects the very nature of who you are, oh God. And so I pray that you would deliver us this morning from any false notions, any false religion, any false um, pursuit to be like you, and that you would give us uh, the grace to hunger and thirst after the righteousness that you provide to be gospel-centered in everything we do, and to pursue you and encourage others to do the same. And so, God, in your word this morning, would you do that for us? Would you change us? Would you convict us? Would you compel us? Would you be um, inspiring to us through your word this morning? And we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Cool. So I got three, just kind of three things I want to point out in the text, uh, and we'll, just, we'll kind of go from there and walk through it. The first thing is that uh, Jesus commands obedience to the law. And so let's look at verse 17 to 19 one more time. Um, it says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, 
Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so, like I said before, I don't think Jesus is holding back any punches here. Jesus is not sitting down with us and saying, uh, you know what, it's okay. Uh, but he's saying that he is commanding an obedience to the law of God. He's saying there is obedience. And if you are not being obedient and even teaching others to do the same, you'll be considered least in the kingdom of God and vice versa. If you're actually doing them and teaching others to do the same, then you will be called great in the kingdom. And so Jesus here is not coming on the scene, changing the law of God and uh, basically lowering the bar, but Jesus is actually kind of raising the bar, right? And we see some examples that we'll get into in the next couple of weeks. Uh, for instance, he says that uh, about murder, right? He says, you, you've heard it said that you shouldn't murder, which is good. You shouldn't murder. But uh, he says, but I say to you that even if you are angry with your brother, that you have already committed murder, so he's raising the bar of the righteousness that we should have, the obedience that we should have to the law. And I know obedience is a hard word for us because by nature, as Americans and people in the West, we don't like to be told what to do. But God of the universe looks at us and says, you must obey. Jesus is saying, this is not just an Old Testament thing. This is a New Testament thing. You obey the law of God. You obey the word of God. And so he is raising the bar here. And um, Jesus is obviously loving and gracious. I'm not trying to paint this picture that he's not, but I feel like we do ourselves a disservice if we try to soften the blow of Scripture. We do ourselves a disservice because it is in the blows of Scripture that we find deep, soul-satisfying joy in God, in the cross, in the newness of life that he's given us. So let us not be too quick to pass over these things. Um, I feel like we should define some terms, okay, because... Uh, if you're looking at this text and you're saying, man, we got to obey all the law of the Old Testament, you're probably starting to wonder, I ate bacon this morning. Is that okay? Right? Like, is that okay to just bite into some juicy good bacon? And it is, by the grace of God, and we'll explain that. But the law and the prophets, he says, I didn't come to abolish or get rid of or destroy the law and the prophets. And so we got the law and the prophets, I would describe that as one term, meaning the whole of the Old Testament, which Jesus taught from regularly. If we broke that down, the law is focused more on the first five books of Moses, uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy in the Bible. Uh, and just give you a general snapshot, I want to make this a Bible lesson. Um, we can kind of see those books broken down into three kind of main categories. If you're looking at like a biblical theology, which is like an overview of the law, we can see it. there's a moral law, which is the standard of morals that we should have. Uh, there's a, a, a civil law or a judicial law, which was uh, in the Old Testament, God's people, before they had a king, they were a theocracy, which meant that God was their ruler. And so God made actual judicial civil rules for them that they should follow uh, and that helped them in scenarios of stealing and all this kind of stuff that happened that people would do and how to kind of deal with that. And so uh, there were those things. And really, those kind of laws uh, really set uh, the Jewish people apart. That was kind of what God was doing in the Old Testament. He was setting the people apart uh, from the rest of the nations. And so he wasn't saying that pork is actually a sin to eat. It was obviously in disobeying God's law, but that was an example of many that separated God's people from the rest of the world. Uh, and then we also had the ceremonial law, which was uh, the problem of sin. It was dealing with the problem of sin, 
right? Because the, in, the, in the Bible, it says in, I think, Galatians 3, where it talks about how God already gave the promise to Abraham, and it wasn't like till 430 years later that God introduced the law through Moses, and it said he did that because of basically unrighteousness, because of laws, because of sin. It was a way to kind of keep us as a guardian, and not only that, but to definitely condemn us so that all would be considered unrighteous so that Christ might save us. And so you had this law, and the reason why I kind of break that apart just to explain is because um, there's some obvious things that have changed, which is, uh, you know, Christ has fulfilled the ceremonial law. We don't uh, get up here on a Sunday morning. I don't know the last time you went to church and someone slaughtered a lamb from the neck up here, but uh, that doesn't happen, right? I'm sorry, I was a little intense. But um, that's what was happening in the Old Testament, right? It was dealing with sin. It was, it was, and Jesus has become that lamb. Jesus has become everything that the ceremonial law represented. These were but shadows of Christ. And so in some things for sure, Christ has uh, fulfilled it. That's why we don't participate in it. Uh, but the point here that, that Jesus is making is there is still a standard, a moral law, if you will, uh, that we are uh, accountable to and that we should strive for. Um, and obviously that striving looks different than the Old Testament. That's the point of my sermon, and we will get there. But the second thing is the prophets, and really the prophets uh, are really just the rest of the Old Testament. I, I mean, the, the prophets, obviously the prophetic books and the, the kind of historical books we see in the Old Testament, some of those that you kind of start to read and you think like, wow, this is a long list of names. I don't know if I could do this right. So you put on the audio Bible instead, those kind of books. Okay, all of these are basically like an explanation and a help and a commentary of what's going on in the law. And the prophets were just calling people back to obedience of the law, right? And so this is what Jesus is describing by the law, and the prophets. And so Jesus says that not even something as small as an iota or a dot, so if you dot your I, iota was like an I, as a little letter, nothing, just not even one little letter from the law, Jesus says, not one little nuanced thing from it will pass away until all is accomplished. He said that, um, that basically until heaven and earth pass away, and all these things are accomplished, like none of this is going to fade. And so what, what that's saying, you know, you look at heaven, you look at earth, these are kind of permanent things that have always been in history. And so basically Jesus is saying until the end of the age, until all is accomplished, until the second coming of Christ, where he comes back to get his bride, establishes the new heavens and the new earth, until that happens, which is in the future from now, um, it's not going to pass away. The law will stand. There is a standard of obedience that must be lived out to the law. Um, and so what Jesus does is he, he, he takes this even further than just simply uh, obedience or, or disobedience, right? He says that if someone uh, even just relax one little part of the law and then also persuades others and teaches others and convinces others and leads others to do the same, Jesus has a strict judgment. He says, you will be considered least in the kingdom of God. So to be frivolous about the law and to teach others to be frivolous about the law, Jesus says, this will make you be considered as least, or maybe you could say insignificant in the kingdom of God. That's a scary promise slash threat, right? Um, and so to be lax about even a little part of the law, Jesus says, is a wrong thing. He also says the opposite, right? He says, um, rather than walking in disobedience and teaching others to do that, uh, the opposite is true. If someone is walking in obedience and by the grace of God teaching others to do that as well, then they will be considered uh, great in the kingdom of heaven or significant in the kingdom of heaven. And so there's reward and actually uh, obedience, okay? Um, so the point is, I think from this first, is uh, we are shamed if we lead others 
If we ourselves are disobedient to the law willingly and we lead others to do that, uh, there's shame there and there's honor in the opposite of obedience. There's honor in obedience. And I know that's scary to talk about because we don't want to preach a false gospel, right? But we'll get into how this ties in together because it's such a beautiful thing for us. Uh, I really hope this brings us to, to live. So the first point, though, is Jesus commands obedience. Okay, we don't want to shy away from that. Jesus says obey. Just like a parent says obey, Jesus says obey, right? We've got to picture God as our Father, and he gives us rules. And I just want to make this caveat just in case I don't say it later because I'm thinking of it now. Um, these rules, this law is good, all right? There's not one commandment in your Bible that is there to be a killjoy. There's not one commandment in the scripture that is not there for your health and your spiritual vitality in Jesus Christ. There's not one commandment in the Bible meant to rob you of something that you will miss out on. All the commands are precious and good and loving from a good father. It doesn't always feel that way when we have to obey, especially when we don't want to obey, but it is true. It is true. I hate the notion that Christians are this these people who have no joy because they have to obey all these laws and can't do any of the fun things that the world does, right? But to us, it would be like, no, it's not that I can't do any fun things that the world does. It's just those would pale in comparison to, to having Christ and walking in his righteousness and walking in obedience. So we got to believe that. we got to teach that to our children. It's important. So the second thing, it's where it gets good. So not only does Jesus command obedience from the law, but Jesus says that he fulfills the law. This happens in a few different ways. The first way is that Jesus fulfills everything that was prophesied about him. Now, we talked about this a little bit at Advent, I think, uh, this past uh, Advent season. But think about this, okay? There were so many things that were prophesied about Jesus, about where he would be born, very specifically where he would be born, at what time period he would come. And Jesus came exactly when it was said in the Bible that he would. He fulfilled so many things. If you begin just to read the Old Testament, kind of reference to the New Testament, it is absolutely ridiculous how many things Jesus, he fulfilled everything. Everything ever prophesied in the Old Testament about him, Jesus Christ fulfilled. Uh, and not only that, but in his death, right? Have you ever read like Isaiah 53, where it talks about uh, Jesus suffering and, 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 and basically bearing our penalty on the cross, and he fulfills that to the T, right? You look at Psalm 22, he fulfills that on the cross. I mean, there's so many awesome things. You look in the Bible, Jesus is just fulfilling everything that was prophesied and foretold about him. Not only that, but Jesus fills all the righteous requirements of the law. So Jesus has never and will never sin. Jesus was born under the law, as Galatians 4 says. Like he came, even though he is God and definitely above the law because he created the law, Jesus comes in submission under the law, and he lives the perfect life, fulfills all righteousness. That's why when he's getting baptized, and John says, like, this seems backwards, right? I'm paraphrasing. John the Baptist is like, uh, you should be doing this for me. Why am I baptizing you? And Jesus says, we should do this to fulfill all righteousness, right? That's what he says, because he did all of it. And so the... the <laughs> He does this down to the smallest detail. He, without sin, fills all of the law. And um, like I said, though he himself is eternally over the law, he satisfies it. And so the point I want to make here is that Jesus fulfilling the law, um, this brings such a deeper meaning to the cross. I love this because the shallow, some of the shallow Christianity that we have in our culture basically says, here's what the gospel is. Uh, you're, you're sinful, and Jesus uh, died, he made a sacrifice, it was a really noble sacrifice, and he did that so that you could be forgiven and so that one day you could get to heaven and you don't have to go to hell. Now everything I said right there is absolutely, totally true. But in my opinion, that is shallow. 
that, that is shallow. And not that those truths within themselves are shallow, but the gospel is so much more. I mean, think about this. The weight, as God puts forth the law that you have to obey uh, 100% without fail, or you cannot enter the kingdom of God, God puts this law out. And now the crushing weight of all of your disobedience, of all, not just the things that you disobeyed in physically, but your motivations that you've disobeyed in, the, the things that have motivated your heart, the wickedness that just naturally comes from you as a, as a sinner, that crushing weight on you. Jesus not only did the opposite in his life, but bore every ounce of that on the cross. He drank up the wrath of God for you. And now, not only does he do that, but he gives you a new heart. He gives you a new life. You are a new creation. You are invited into the family of God. This brings a weight to the gospel that is so important. Jesus, the only one, right, that was able to do it, comes and fulfills the law perfectly for you and gives you his righteousness. He gives you his righteousness. He bears your disobedience. He bears the punishment, the wrath of God on his shoulders on the cross. This brings joy to us. This brings deep joy to us in the gospel. It brings a deeper meaning from what he suffered. And so, not only that, but we see in the cross that Jesus also fulfills all the Old Testament shadows in the ceremonial law, right? So there was a high priest that would make sacrifices. There was different burnt offerings and grain offerings and all these offerings you had to do with certain sins that you made. Uh, and the Bible goes into some strange detail about some of the sins and how you deal with those things. Uh, and uh, there was also an animals, that, animals that need to be sacrificed all the time that need to be killed. And Jesus uh, in one motion, if you will, on the cross, he becomes the sacrifice, he becomes the offering, he becomes the high priest uh, uh, for us. And the book of Hebrews talks a lot about that. And so all the requirements of the moral law, the ceremonial law, are fulfilled once and for all in the cross of Christ. And therefore, we are not bound to make sacrifices anymore. We are not bound to have to atone for our sins. It's been done once and for all. It's been finished, right, as he said on the cross, and it's been taken care of. And so now there's, there's freedom in that. And so Jesus fulfills the law totally for us. Now, number three, so Jesus uh, commands obedience to the law. Jesus fulfills the law, and Jesus fulfills the law in us. That's my third point. Let's look at verse, verse 20. because He makes a statement here that's, that's pretty intense and pretty cool. I want to kind of describe it, what's going on here. He said, and I'll read verse 19 because it kind of connects. Because he says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so for us in our century, in our age, not really having known any of the scribes and Pharisees, I don't think this statement really packs the same amount of weight that it would have been in that day. So let me try to describe this. I think Jesus is doing two things in this simultaneously when he makes this statement. I think the first thing he's doing is he is showing us as his disciples that we could never have enough righteousness to earn our way into the kingdom of God. It's impossible. And what I mean by that is back in the day, so, and you, I'm sure you've heard a lot about this, and if you've read your Bible, you kind of get this feel. Um, Jesus is always, it seems like, always, I'm sure he's loving too, but always angry at the Pharisees and the scribes because of their religious tendencies, right? And, and so in that day and age, they were considered to be the holiest of the holiest, okay? These, these guys were doing crazy things like taking out all of their spices, 
and they were tithing uh, 10% of that to the church. They were doing things, and they were creating laws on top of laws on top of laws. So you got this one commandment in the Bible, and they would say, not only are we going to do this, but now we're going to make three other laws on top of that that we're going to obey as well, and we're going to be very, very strict. The way they memorized the Bible, the way they lived their lives in front of people to be considered righteous was absolutely over the top. It was crazy. And so for the average person there in that day, they didn't think all those Pharisees, like we think all those Pharisees are idiots, right? Like they didn't get at all. They're like whitewashed tombs, like Jesus said. They didn't understand the gospel. They're, they're um, not smart. But for that day and age, people were amazed at the Pharisees. So when they hear this statement, I'm sure they're probably like, wow, my righteousness exceed that? Yeah, right. There's no way. There's no way I could do that. The average person listening to Jesus would be like, it's impossible to enter the kingdom then. There's, there's no way. I'm not going to get in. And I think in, in some ways, Jesus wants us um, to feel that, right? Uh, that we, we can't do that. We can't earn our way into heaven. So this would have created a sense of impossibility in their minds. But not only that, I think the other thing and probably the main thing that Jesus starts to do here um, and he will do throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, I believe, uh, is he is beginning to poke holes in the perceived righteousness of the Pharisees. And he's going to go into some detail here in chapter 6, especially, where he's just calling these guys out of how they do things. Um, but Jesus wants to show us that their righteousness was a sham. It was not real righteousness. It was false. They focused on minute details of the law, that were at best wrong interpretations of the law, and they neglected the weightier matters of the law, as Jesus says. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He said, The trouble with the Pharisees was that they were interested in details rather than the principles, that they were interested in actions rather than the motives, that they were interested in doing rather than in being. I thought that was really good. So Jesus is poking holes in the whole premise of the Pharisees. They were outwardly, they were beautiful, Outwardly, they were so righteous. Outwardly, they were such good people, right? They, they should be the first and foremost in the kingdom of God. They were loved by all. I'm sure they were loved by God, but inwardly, they were dead. Inwardly, there was no life. That's why Jesus uses that term, a whitewashed tomb, which is so extreme, right? It's, he's saying that they are like this tomb that on the outside is all nice and pretty. It's kind of like a Pinterest thing, right, where you, like, you paint it all white, and then you make it look like it was from uh, 100 years ago, and then you paint it again. You keep doing stuff like that. Like It was beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, it's just dead, just a dead man, nothing there but bones. And the Pharisees, they were like that, right? Jesus said, you, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is disgusting. No one wants to drink their morning brew out of that, right? It's, it's, it's false religion. And um, so they were pretty on the outside, but on the inside, their heart was far from God. They would rather make themselves look good in front of people than actually be in Christ Jesus. That's scary. That's scary, right? We have that danger. We have that danger, that possibility to pretend that we are religious, to pretend that we are righteous, to pretend that we have it all together, pretend that we're holy people, and all the while to be inside either dying or dead spiritually, and it would be more important for us to be liked by others, to be thought of well by others, rather than to uh, be in Christ. That's a scary pitfall. And Jesus is trying to say, there is, there's no joy in that, and there is no, no way that's going to work. That is a dead-end road. Um, and he'll get to that later on in the Sermon on the Mount, too. But I don't want to jump too far ahead. And so I think right now the danger would be to think, okay, 
I don't want to be a whitewashed tomb. I don't want to be fake. And therefore, since Jesus has paid it all for me, um, it doesn't really matter what I do, right? Since Jesus has, has bore my penalty, it is finished. He's bore it on the cross. It's not that important how I live my life. And I think that's a, a dangerous temptation because it does matter. Um, it does matter. And so that's why Jesus kind of links these together, I think, by using that word for. Um, and so we are not saved by our righteousness and obedience but our salvation will produce righteousness and obedience in us. That's if you get one thing today, that's what I want you to get. Let me read that one more time. We are not saved by our righteousness and obedience, period. We've been a period, I guess, for technical English sake, but I'm just going to put a period because it's a statement by itself. But our salvation will produce righteousness and obedience. It will produce it. Not perfectly, but it will produce that in us. So how does this happen? I'm glad you asked. Let's go to Romans 8. Romans 8 is one of the greatest texts on this. There's a lot to choose from in the Bible, but I want to read this one together. And just kind of listen. I want to read verses 1 through 11. We may not get that far, but let's just read it here. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's the gospel. No condemnation at all. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. I'll stop right there. So we see this, this beautiful picture of what's happening here. As Paul, and he's kind of connecting a lot of the book of Romans, which talks about the gospel. It talks about its righteousness by faith, not by works of the law. It's his whole argument in the book of Romans. And, and right here he says, therefore, because of that truth, because the gospel is true, because Christ has fulfilled the law perfectly for you, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are not condemned to eternity, but you are saved and invited into the family of God for eternity. And now, because God had done what the the law basically couldn't do because it was weakened by the flesh and our evil deeds. God, by giving us the Spirit, now dwells in us and empowers us for righteousness. So what I mean by, by Christ fulfills righteousness in us, what I get from this text is that now that we don't have to earn our righteousness and that we know that we can never earn our righteousness by giving us the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, God, by His grace, empowers us for daily and consistent and joyous obedience and righteousness. Does that mean we'll be perfect? Absolutely not. But does that mean should we, we should go on sinning? Absolutely not, right? There's a significant difference between the Christian and the non-Christian, and it's not how necessarily good they are, but it's a whole new foundation, right? It's a whole new spot that we're working from. It's not, I'm going to work to earn righteousness, to earn favor, but rather, the righteousness and favor that I long for has already been earned for me. Therefore, I will work, right? 
It changes the very desire of, of what we want. It's just so important because with that, us being new creatures, a new creation, we get a new desire now. And now our path to obedience, our path towards righteousness and being more like Christ is something we long to do. It's something we want to do. It's something that by the grace of God and the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can actually begin to walk in as well. Like we can say no to sin and walk in righteousness. Like I said, I don't want you to get misunderstood here. You will never be totally righteous until God does that in the blink of an eye in eternity. In this life, you will never be totally righteous. You will always sin, but there'll be a difference in the way in which you sin. There won't be a habitual, non-repentive pattern of sin the rest of your life. No way. God has redeemed us. He's made us new. And so now we constantly operate in repentance because we constantly sin, but we are beginning to walk in righteousness, beginning to walk in obedience to the law by the grace of God. And this is important because if you try to obey with the weight, uh, underneath the weight of the law, it is a dead end road. It is a painful road. It is a depressing road. It is hard. It's impossible. But now, if you're obeying without that weight of the law, it's been borne by Jesus Christ, there's a freedom to obedience there. There's a freedom to righteousness. There's a freedom to say, you know what? I want to say no to this sin um, because I don't want this, right? I want Christ. I don't want this. I want Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be close to Jesus. And therefore, this sin is going to do nothing but do the opposite for me. And therefore, I don't want it. And it's important because God has enabled us to walk in righteousness. This is the kind of righteousness by the power of the Holy Spirit that exceeds that of the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. It not only exceeds it, but it has a brand new foundation to the whole thing in general. Um, and so we don't obey to earn favor. We obey because favor has already been earned for us. Now, I just want to take a moment, and I just want to remind you uh, just some truths that I think are freeing for us, that are biblical truths in the Bible, in the gospel, that should be freeing for us as we walk out of here today to walk in obedience. And I want to leave you with a quote, and then we'll pray together. Um, just a few things. You are, if you are in Christ, you are redeemed from sin, Satan, and death. If you are in Christ, you are absolutely free from the crushing weight and penalty of the law. If you are in Christ, you are new creatures. You're a new creation, and the law of God is now written on your heart. If you are in Christ, you are indwelt by the Spirit of the living God. And if you are in Christ, you are invited into the family of God, and that can never be taken away from you. Now, there's a quote. Uh, it's been attributed to about 30,000 people throughout history, so I just put unknown um, because we don't really know. Some, a lot of people quote it to John Bunyan, but um, some people quote it to Ralph Erksine. I'm probably going to bore you here for just a second. Um, Spurgeon uh, attributed this quote to John Berridge in a slightly different uh, way uh, in the Salt Cellars book or whatever. But I'm just going to say unknown, but here's what the quote says. And I love this quote. It's a good gospel reminder. You, you may have heard this before, but it says, Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. That's good. That's good. We cannot keep up with the commands of the law. We cannot be perfectly obedient. 
But by the grace of God, we have the gospel, we have forgiveness, we are in Christ, we are new creatures, and we can walk in that way. We can walk in righteousness, and that's what Jesus is leading us towards here on the Sermon on the Mount. And so let's just take a moment just to pray, just to thank God for his love. Um, and just pray that we'd be empowered today, excited today to walk in this newness of life. Uh, amen. I'll shut up now. Let's pray. You guys can bow your heads with me. Father, we just thank you for this time to look at your word. And God, we do feel somewhat of a weightiness this morning because I'm sure all of us right now are probably thinking of our sin and the, the, uh, just our sinful nature, God, just how undeserving we are of your grace in the first place. And so then to think about walking in righteousness just seems foolish. But God, it's not about us. I pray that's what we get today, God, that we'd remove our self-centeredness like the Pharisees had from the equation and just say, God, you chose to love me, redeem me, to make me your son, to make me a new creature that would want new things. You chose to send your spirit to dwell in me that I might walk with you, walk in you, to walk for you to the glory of God through all the nations. God, it's who I am in you. It's not who I have to try to be. It's not who I have to try to earn myself to be because I can't do it. But God, that's who I am in you. And God, I pray that we would experience that truth this morning. It's who we are if we're in you. We're righteous. We're loved. And God, what motivation that brings for obedience. What motivation that brings for repentance. What motivation that brings to say, I've been struggling with this sin for years and I'm, I'm tired of it. God, I don't want to walk in that anymore. I long for your forgiveness. I long to be renewed. I long to walk in righteousness that I might display your glory to the ends of the earth. That I might live my life in such a way, in such a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, may we live that way. May we not be satisfied with the petty, scant, promises of sin through song right now through communion right now God would you encourage your saints we ask this in Jesus name Amen